This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. We're excited about it. You know, I think it's a it's a great plan and we're looking forward to having again the most successful caucuses we've ever had. Iowa is the center of the political universe every four years. I don't believe that, that President Trump has anything to worry about in terms of the competition that he has. And quite frankly, I think it's a sign of strength. And 2020 is shaping up to be one of the most unique cycles in modern history. I think everybody's waiting for the field to get smaller. I wouldn't be surprised if there are a few candidates who drop out before the caucuses. On the other hand, I wouldn't be surprised if nobody drops out. An update on the caucuses, our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. It is now just four months away, the 2020 Iowa Presidential Precinct Caucuses, the first true test of candidates, the first time actual voters have their say in the process. With an incumbent Republican in the office, most of the action, as it were, is with the Democrats. I got an update this past Thursday from Iowa Democratic Party Chair Troy Price on his party's efforts to this point. Well, we are in a really good spot. Um, we are in uh, actually a better spot than where we have been in some of the previous cycles, uh, most recent cycles that we've been through. Uh, we've been really focused on starting this process earlier. And we are now at over 86% of our locations are locked. Uh, we uh, have uh, almost 1,000 people in the training pipeline at this time. Uh, trainings are going on all across the state. You know, I mean, this is a big uh, logistical exercise. We have to plan 1,677 separate meetings that all have to take place all at the same time. Uh, and now, in addition to that, uh, with the virtual caucus no longer being allowed by the DNC, we are now introducing satellite caucusing, which will create additional caucus sites uh, across the state as well as um, across the country. And so we are in the process right now of uh, implementing that. Uh, we've got a shortened time window than what we would otherwise like, but, uh, but we uh, ended in a good spot. We feel good about that program as well and the ability of that to increase uh, participation in our process. So we feel really good about where we are. We're going to be seeing more staff come on board in these final few weeks and months. Uh, you're going to see a lot more activity, but I can guarantee these caucuses will be our most successful ever. The size of the field, at one time more than two dozen people, what does that say to you as the party chair as you look toward building an even stronger base of reliable voters? Well, that's what's great about the caucus process is unlike a primary where people just have to show up and cast a ballot and walk out, this is an organizational exercise. And so these campaigns are out there right now talking to voters. They're digging deep and particularly the size of the field dictates that the candidates must go into, you know, they can't just go to Des Moines and Cedar Rapids and Waterloo. They have to go to small towns uh, and rural communities and farms and they have to go meet voters and caucus goers where they are. And so um, I know coming out of this process, we're going to have so much more people energized, so many more people activated. We saw the same thing the last time we had a field this large, which was, I mean, we're still twice as many as that field in 2007. But in 2007, we uh, the momentum coming out of the caucuses uh, really propelled us forward to some great victories in, uh, in the general election in 2008. And so that's what I'm so excited about with so many people running, so much energy and excitement out there. And everywhere you go, you see that energy. You see it at caucus events and campaign events. You know, we have the uh, Polk County Steak Fry a couple weeks ago that had over 12,000 people. Our dinner's coming up that will likely have more. People are really energized. 
energized. And so I think that it portends uh, great success for the Democratic Party in 2020. Iowa Democratic Party Chair Troy Price. Just because there's an incumbent doesn't mean Republicans are standing down, as I learned from Republican Party of Iowa Chair Jeff Kaufman on Friday. Why, for example, is Iowa going to keep its presidential precinct caucus in 2020 when other states are not going to have partisan primaries or caucuses on the Republican side? Jeff, that's, a, that's an excellent question, and, we, and I've been taking that question a lot. And it's really twofold. Um, I don't believe that, that President Trump has anything to worry about in terms of the competition that he has. And quite frankly, I think it's a sign of strength. If President Trump is willing to come in here to Iowa and uh, stand an election where we haven't uh, rigged anything or stopped anything, but just a good, true blue Iowa Republican caucus, I believe he's going to walk out of here with a overwhelming lead. And uh, my hope is it gives him a little bit of a breeze that he's back. The other reason is wholly nonpartisan and wholly Iowa. And that is that uh, in 2024, uh, we know that there's going to be a an, an open uh, seat for the Republican nominee. And uh, we are going to want to be first in the nation again. And one thing I've learned in this job, this will be my second caucus cycle, and that is that there are people, there are states that think they want what we have. And we will start, we will have to start proving ourselves right now. I mean, th- this is as much, this decision uh, to, of mine to have this caucus is as much about 20 24 as it is 2020 um, when we have to fight for what we have when when we depend on our voters to be discerning be active uh, be engaged we can't take we can't take a four-year cycle off and so i'm ready to show right now we are doing training uh, our uh, our counties all over the state are nailing down their caucus sites some are completely finished and we are going to have a professional transparent verifiable a caucus, and we are going to show the country uh, like we have uh, in the, uh, last year. We're going to show them that Iowa is the best place to start. We're going to show them that Iowa knows how to do this. Jeff Kaufman, chair of the Republican Party of Iowa. James Lynch covers government and politics for the Gazette. I asked him for an assessment of Iowans' attitudes as the caucuses draw closer. I think people are still in the sort of assessment process. Um, They're still showing up for candidates as they come through and and not just the so-called top tier, but most all of these candidates are still getting audiences, large audiences or sizable audiences. I don't think people have made up their mind. Some of them tell us they're their short list is getting shorter, but uh, you know, if you look at recent polls, a lot of people say they they could change their mind. Not many people have locked in on a candidate, so I think we're the race is still open and very fluid. Is that, and this is not your first rodeo nor mine, is that different from past cycles? There are some who make up their minds very early on and are strident supporters, but we tend to wait until we actually have to make the call, don't we? Right. If Most people will tell you, I mean, the political scientists and those folks who really follow this, that Iowans don't make up their mind until maybe a week before the caucuses, maybe the day of the caucuses, maybe when they get to the caucus. So, yeah, I, I don't expect that people are making up their minds now. They, they want to meet all the candidates. They want to hear all the candidates more than once. They uh, want a chance to talk to the candidates before they make up their mind. They're not in a hurry. They know when the caucus is, and they, they have all the time. 
What does feel different, if anything, about this cycle as opposed to four years ago? Well, the big difference is the number of candidates. Four years ago, essentially, there were two candidates, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. This time we have, you know, we had 24, we're down to, I don't know, 19, 20, somewhere in there. I think everybody's waiting for the field to get smaller. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there are a few candidates who drop out before the caucuses. On the other hand, I wouldn't be surprised if nobody drops out. At this point, most, you know, we just had a, a, the fundraising quarter number numbers came out. Um, everybody seems to have enough money to keep going. Some of them have a lot of money to keep going and run a very intensive television and radio campaigns. So, yeah, I think we're most of these folks are in it for the long haul. James Lynch of the Gazette. We spoke in Cedar Rapids on Friday. I want to introduce you now to the new executive director and editor of Iowa Watch, Suzanne Benke. More about her vision for Iowa Watch in a future program. This week, however, she has some thoughts about how voters get the information they need in order to make informed choices. I think there are a lot of things that consumers can do. The first thing I would ask them to do is to go to sources they trust, but also evaluating them, looking at, is this a source of information or news that provides accurate information on a regular basis? What's their record? What's their track record? Have over the long term, they've been a provider of accurate storytelling, deeply reported stories, and do they look to tell all the angles to an issue. Another thing that I would look at is in today's world, the personalities sometimes that are providing us information on television, radio, YouTube, all of these. Do a little background. Do they? Do any of these people have agendas? And if so, make sure that you're informed about that. I, I actually teach this it, to my editing students uh, in a college class, and these are things that we go over all the time. In an era where so many people have access to information independently, they no longer have to go through what I'll say is the, the filter that journalists used to provide, and that filter simply was to make sure that the source had information that could be trusted, as you've mentioned, that they did not have some other agenda. The theory of the journalist is the agenda is simply providing straightforward information. So in an era where people can get this themselves, it makes it incumbent upon the consumer to actually work harder, doesn't it? It does. Consumers, I think, have to work very hard to be sure that they are getting the full picture. And that's not to say that journalists get it right every time. They are writing history, the first draft of history. Consumers have the luxury of sitting back and, and looking for different viewpoints. And they should be looking for different viewpoints and asking hard questions about those uh, things that they're reading and taking in. And it's so easy to find the information on the internet, YouTube, these multiple cable channels. So asking the hard questions about what am I taking in, how many different sources am I going to, I think are all really important as we're approaching election season and caucus season, I think it becomes even more important. You know, Iowans play a really critical role in our nation's vetting of presidential candidates. And going to uh, political rallies or campaign stops, you know, we have a privilege to be able to go and see these candidates all the time. They come to us 
we get to ask them the hard questions and hear it straight from them. But that's the first step. The second step then is following up, looking at what they said. Does it resonate with you? Doing a little research. Is what they're saying matching uh, research that is out there or not? And then making an informed decision on what you've heard or read or listened to. If Iowans are looking for credible news sources, I would, of course, recommend that they regularly check the work that's being done at iowawatch.org, where we are a nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. We're the only nonprofit news organization in the state of Iowa, and we are not aligned with any other organization than ourselves. We are looking to serve Iowans. We are looking to be the leading uh, investigative news service for the state. And I think we've proven that we have the power of great college students and their ideas and their energy behind us and with us to produce really great and compelling journalism that shines a light on problems, but also offers solutions or answers to the problem that may not have been considered so far. Iowa Watch Executive Director and Editor Suzanne Benke. When we come back, we'll speak with a Washington Post reporter with Iowa Ties, whose job is to cover the important issues of the election. That's next, as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. Jenna Johnson is a national political correspondent for the Washington Post. A Midwest native, her parents now own and operate newspapers in Johnson and Washington counties in Iowa. She was in Des Moines to speak at the annual Celebrating a Free Press and Open Government Banquet, sponsored by Iowa Watch, in late September 2019. And we talked about her work and campaign 2020. We are talking in the state capitol. This is where citizens come to talk about issues, lawmakers come to make policy. Is there a disconnect, though, between the citizens and what they find to be important as opposed to what some elected officials, certainly where you work in the district, is there a disconnect between the people and what business is being conducted? Yeah, I think so. But I think unlike in years previous, we've also seen a big activist movement. Um, Voters are making themselves be heard in a way that we haven't quite seen before. I mean, it used to be politicians looked at polls to see where people stand. And of course, they're still doing that. But in addition to that polling, you know, there's waves of phone calls that are coming into their offices. Um, There are people showing up in state capitals, showing up on Capitol Hill um, to talk about gun control, um, to talk about climate change, um, to talk about what the president's doing. Um, So I think that, you know, unlike in years past, we are, voters are making themselves be heard in a way that we haven't quite seen in, in previous years. And that's interesting because of the fact that I would suggest that the results of the last election 
actually in the primaries on both sides, plus the result of the general election suggests that the public wants things to go a little different direction, so they're feeling empowered. Is that the sense that you get in talking to voters that there's a frustration that is actually now channeling itself to empowerment? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, people, a lot of people are not quite happy with the way things are. And whether it's uh, a politician from a different political party than the one they usually vote for, um, who has just angered them to the point where they want to see that person taken out of office, um, or it's someone that maybe they voted for, but they feel like isn't doing what they put that person in office to do. Um, I mean, we've seen this at town halls. <laughs> um, we've seen a lot of people say, you know, they don't necessarily want to just wait till the next election. They want to see changes happening. I've often thought that in a world where we can communicate with cell phones and social media, and when we go to the store and there are 50 different choices of milk, I mean, we don't feel satisfied. We want what we want and we want it on our terms. And is that, do you think, a good thing for public policy or is that almost too much speed at the sake of deliberation and perhaps a more contemplative study of issues? Well, and I guess we should maybe um, take a moment here to stop and say that when we're looking at national policy, um, we haven't seen that much happen. <laughs> you know, I mean, there is a lot of gridlock in Washington. And I think that there are a lot of voters who feel like the country has already spent a lot of time studying things and that there are changes they think could be implemented. Um, but we're in a really interesting moment in history right now. Um, political parties are trying to figure out what they are, what they stand for and what they don't stand for. Voters are trying to decide what really aligns with what they actually want. Um, and our country is kind of going through this moment of trying to figure out what it is. And so we've seen um, a lot of big shifts in elections. We've seen, um, you know, people voting for change and, and wanting to see change, um, and then getting frustrated that even when they're voting for the people they believe in, they're still seeing gridlock in Washington. They don't want to be labeled is really what it's coming down to. The parties, as you note, reinventing themselves because we have a larger cohort of people who register as political independents. They don't want to be branded with either side. That leads to a lot of variance and a bit of an upsetting of the norm because you can't predict these things. You don't know how many people from the center are going to cross which way when it comes time to either discuss an issue or go to the ballot box. Yeah, and this is especially true in Iowa. Um, there's a spirit of independence here. Um, and that's been there for a while, but we've really seen it the last few years. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've met voters who are, you know, I ask them, instead of asking, are you a Democrat or a Republican, I've started asking people, how do you describe yourself politically? And it's so interesting, the responses you get back. Uh, I was just recently in Texas at an NRA convention and I was talking with a man and he said, well, you know, I want everyone to have constitutional carry rights and I support abortion rights. What am I? I don't even know what I am. 
And I feel like there's a lot of people in this country right now who kind of don't really know what they are. And it often comes down to an issue or two that pushes them one way or the other, or maybe gives them the confidence to take a chance on someone from a different party that they might not have done in the past. It sounds so glamorous to say, I'm a national correspondent and I go around the country and I get to talk to people and I cover the White House. What is something about the assignment you presently have that people may just not appreciate or understand? You know, political reporters spend a massive amount of time sitting around and waiting in the least glamorous places ever. Um, I covered the White House for a year and a half at the very beginning of President Trump's term. And yes, I got to go to Paris and I got to fly on Air Force One and I got to ask questions at briefings. And, um, you know, there are many things about the job that fit with the movies, um, but they don't tell you about the eight hours that you spend sitting in a van outside of Mar-a-Lago <laughs> waiting uh, for the president to decide if he wants to go golfing or not. We put in a lot of hours, um, you know, just waiting for things to happen and, and covering things when, when they are happening. I'm now covering the 2020 race and uh, Democratic candidates who are running um, in hopes of challenging Trump. And I like to think I have the best job in the newsroom because I mostly focus on voters. I go to communities and I just walk around and I talk to people. And so often people will say, what are you doing in my coffee shop in my town? And, you know, I'm able to say, I just want to hear, I just want to hear what you're thinking. I want to hear what you want to talk about. And a lot of times there's a disconnect between, you know, what, what might be on our front page one day and what's going on in communities. To be clear, there are things that the president has done that, that clearly alarm and upset or excite people in small communities, but they don't sit around and only talk about national politics. They're talking about what's going on in their farms, in their schools, in their communities, in their subdivisions. Um, and that politics that touches people's lives is, is really what, what they care about and um, what they tend to vote on. Jenna Johnson, national political correspondent for The Washington Post. We spoke in late September in Des Moines. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can connect with us online, iowawatch.org. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.